Hello, this is the Dr. Paul Show. I'm Dr. Paul Corona, coming to you from sunny and beautiful Orange County, California. The best way to get a, get a hold of me is through my website at drpaulcoronamd.com. That's DR for doctor, no period after that. And on this uh, show, we talk about mental health, we talk about physical health, we explore the mind-body connection. And this show, I'm going to kind of start from the beginning and tell my story. So let's start the show. Uh, to start off, it's, you know, being in, in Southern California for most of my life, uh, you know, the, the, be, the best thing probably is the weather, <laughs> um, you know, the consistency of the weather. And so we're finally seeing some sunshine, uh, which has eluded us for a while. We had a pretty heavy rainy season and a lot of gloomy days, but now the sun's really starting to come out this last week and it's uh, pretty nice. So uh, one of the big advantages for living in this state, since there's many, many disadvantages. But um, anyway, I just wanted to, uh, there's a lot of things to talk about. And so I wanted to, and I, I know I've been t talking ad nauseum about the whole pandemic issue and the vaccines and and if you've listened to this point, you know you know my very strong feelings about things, and so I don't need to beat beat a dead horse here, uh, but rather um, you know move on unless there's some new news that comes out. But uh, suffice it to say that you know that everything was done wrong, and and you just you know unfortunately it what's come out is that we just really can't trust the public health agency, which is sad because we'd want to be able to do that and. But they just haven't been really trustworthy, and they have been leading people in the wrong direction, and and, that, and never apologizing when they're proved to be wrong. They, of course, there's never any apology. There's never any. No one ever gets let go. Yeah, just just it just keeps going. So, which is pretty typical of anything governmental, which just doesn't change. So, all right, I said I wouldn't, and I did, but now I won't. So, so one of the basically because my book's coming out, uh, we're going to be looks like we'll be working with a literary agent to um to get the book going and and it looks like the release is going to be this fall of the book and i'm really excited because i've worked on it for about five years now uh, unless you heard my last couple shows the title is a little long but it's um it's it's the, the corona protocol is the title and the subtitle is a scientifically proven medical solution to stop Addiction, bullying, homelessness, school shootings, and suicide. 30 years in the making. So it's a long title, or a long subtitle especially, but I mean, the point of the book is is that, you know, trying to explain why there are so many problems in our society, why things are getting worse. And, and a lot of it really, one of the main reasons is the, the lack of mental health awareness and the lack of proper treatment, and and this is something that has really bothered me for quite a long time. So when I started writing this book, I just I had a mission, and my mission was to, you know, which, which was different than my previous books, was to tell stories. And because I'm a I'm a fiction lover, I've I've read fic, been reading fiction my whole life, and so this is most of the book is fiction because there's actually thirty stories that I tell in the book. Some based on real people, um, some, you know, a compilation of different patients rolled into one, um, changing the name, change some of the specifics. Some of them are made up stories, but uh, 
but I'm hoping it's going to be really interesting reading because of the fact that it's it really involved interesting stories that I'm telling. And, uh, and, and again, it's different. My first three books were more the science and some stories, but not so much. So this is a whole new, new uh, adventure for me. And, uh, and after, after waiting so long, I'm, I really want to um, release it this fall, get this, get this thing out finally. So that, that's what it looks like what the timeline is. So let me, I want to start back and explain, um, you know, when I first started doing this in my practice and, and how things have moved, have changed since then. So going back into, um, you know, even undergraduate uh, at USC, go Trojans, by the way. Um, I was always interested, I was a biology major, pre-med, but I was always kind of interested in psychology from early, early days. I took some psychology classes there at college and was uh, really interested in that. But I, you know, pursued biology because, you know, if you're going to go to medical school, it's better to focus on the, on the hard sciences versus, you know, the psychology, which isn't really part of the medical school uh, process. So in the medical school, you basically do rotations. And so I did like a psych couple psychiatric rotations and it was found it very interesting. Um, but, you know, towards the end of medical school, the, towards the, like the, especially by the fourth year, you know, you have to start deciding what you're going to do and what, what res you know, so residency, you know, so after four years of medical school, then you have to do at least three years of residency training, which means that you train into whatever specialty you're going to go into. And at the time, I, you know, I didn't know. I was always interested in, I thought pediatrics initially. I, I was thinking about OBGYN. I, I kind of really liked everything, uh, all the rotations except for surgery, a couple things like that I was kind of bored with. But, uh, but for the most part, I really liked different areas of medicine. And I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. So I, I, I kind of settled on family practice because I just thought that would be the best variety and that it's um it's it's uh you know kind of a, a bunch of things that you do with being a family doctor including psychiatry including mental health so i thought that you know this this way i, I don't have to do just one thing I, I could i could focus on a variety of things and seeing families and seeing kids and seeing you know doing gyn doing internal adult medicine doing you know and so family doctor does a lot of things um and I really enjoyed it. I, you know, I started, you know, in, in practice in, in Orange County. Well, so I did my residency. Well, I did my medical school in New York, in New York, which is great. And then I did my residency program in family practice in, in downtown Los Angeles, a California hospital. So and at the time then, I was, you know, most of my life has been in L.A. or L.A. County other than New York. So I just really decided I need, I wanted to move and go somewhere else. And so I, I picked Orange County. And if you've ever been to South Orange County, it's it's beautiful here. Um, pretty safe, pretty nice schools, you know, great restaurants. And so I just thought this was a great place to settle. And we've been here now for uh, thirty, a little plus thirty years now. Um, same house, same everything. So um, made a really good choice um, and uh, started in in group practice. Then and within a year, I went solo practice and. And so this was so, but during the '90s, I really um, started understanding and getting more and more into mental health. And part of it really was 
uh, you know, when at the time and during my training, we had the first we call SSRIs, which are medications that focus on balancing serotonin. So you you would know them by name, of course, by with Prozac and Zoloft and Paxil. And those were the first three, and the first three of the we call the modern antidepressants. There was older antidepressants that you know people don't typically use anymore for the most part. But those were the modern ones, and I and I saw some positive results in some people, and sometimes negative results, sometimes side effects. So they were okay, uh, not fantastic, but they were okay, better than nothing for some people, worse worse than nothing for other people. So in 1993 was the first. This is like within a year of starting practice, which was 1992 is when Effexor XR came out. So this was the first SNRI. So with SSRIs basically focused on balancing serotonin, SNRIs balance serotonin and norepinephrine. And it's like, okay, so what's the big deal? Well, at, at the time I didn't understand it was a big deal, but then when I started prescribing it and, and giving it out to people and having them try samples, I was, I was completely blown away. And so this was the first real event in my practice and where I just started really understanding that you know the, that mental health is is bigger than we imagine and then what I was really discovering was the connection between the mind and body because when I was because when with effexor versus the SSRIs we were seeing not only better with mood as far as like depression but better for anxiety reduction and better for the body. Now, you know what? So we call somatic symptoms, which means physical symptoms, um, which is uh, stress-related symptoms. And at the time, you know, you didn't you write off things like headaches and neck and back pain and and TMJ and and IBS, which is like irritable bowel syndrome and fibromyalgia and back pain. And so we, you know, people kind of just well, you know, that's maybe the way I'm sitting, maybe my posture is not good. So people kind of write things off. Well, maybe it's what I ate with the IBS or maybe it's, yeah, and it could be certain things. It could be those things. But then I was just, I was just finding out when I would give people this effects or that they'd come back and like, what the, what doc, what the hell do you give me? I go, why? I go, because my headaches are gone or my neck, you know, my neck. You know, I thought it was because I was sitting in front of the computer all day. I, my my neck and my shoulder pain are ever loosened up and I feel really good. So I started to see a consistency with this pattern and people coming back and hell my, my gosh, my, I'd gone to my, the GI doctor and they told me I have IBS and they, there's not much they could do about it, but now it's gone. So all in my fibromyalgia, I went to a rheumatologist. I said, well, there's nothing you can do. It just takes some anti-inflammatories and it's gone. And then I was thinking, well, how come they didn't know this? You know, how come the specialists aren't treating with this? And and then I was so interested, I started like looking and asking questions and looking at medical journals and looking at psychiatric textbooks. And and when I would go to conference, when I, you know, I became a speaker for different companies in the 90s about their products. When I would go to speaker training, I would ask questions. And I, when I would go to conferences, so I was trying to figure out why why am I not hearing more about this? Because this is revolutionary. This the, it, it, I said if I'm right about this, this is this could revolutionize healthcare and the men, mental health care and 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 not only mental health, physical health. So this so this is a um, so I, so you know 
what I call the mind-body connection. And, you know, so that's why I call what I do mind-body medicine because I was able to, I've really been able to continue with my primary care practice in a sense. I don't, I don't do what I did then, like with doing physicals or do, I like, like regular stuff, like, you know, the treating blood pressure, treating diabetes and things that family doctors do. I don't do those things. But my, my knowledge of primary care has really come in, uh, you know, it, it's, it's really helped quite a bit because of the fact that understanding the body, uh, able to see that connection. And so I think psychiatrists, by and large, don't really focus on the body. Their, their training is, is not on the physical issues. So this is why sometimes I think when I see, a, I've seen a lot of people who've been to psychiatrists and they don't treat the way I've done because I, I don't think they recognize that the, the, the physical components related to move, to mood. And when, when it comes to primary care doctors like me, they, we focus on the physical, but not the psychiatric or not the, not the mood part. And, and, and be, to be frank, a lot of family doctors just don't feel comfortable. They'll, they'll feel comfortable doing really basic things. And, so the most basic thing is giving an SSRI. So the most, the two biggest ones, number one is probably Lexapro. Number two is probably Zoloft. I mean, there's eight of them on the market. There's another one now, Trintelex is the most recent one. But, but the, the point is, this is what doctors will usually do in primary care. They'll give that. And if that doesn't work, they'll, they'll say, oh, I don't know what to do now. So we'll refer, refer out. And the problem is when you refer out, you know, not everyone wants to see a psychiatrist. Uh, not everyone has that covered or maybe it's it's very expensive and frankly speaking you know i mean i have i know some psychiatrists that are very good but you know some of them i'm not really impressed with a lot that i see in the field and because there's this you know again this this disconnect between you know between being between patients and doctors i i think that you know doctors are not good listeners uh, by and large. Uh, don't really take the time to get to know people. Um, they don't. Doctors often don't take very good histories to really understand the depth of what's going on. And you know, and and then again, I th- I think this is in medicine in general has definitely eroded as far as you know quality of care. And I think a lot of people who are listening to this can are nodding their heads and say, "Yep, you know, doctors are." impersonal they don't get back to you they don't call you back when you call them it's really hard to get in so i've seen these problems um over the years and i've really worked hard to make sure that that i never do any of those things Uh, i i return every phone call same day i return every email same day so um but yeah, but going back to, you know, but anyway, the, the, the point is the, you know, customer service in medicine is, is really, uh, really suffered over the years. And that's unfortunate because people, people need help and people who are desperate often are not getting the help they need. So going back to Effexor, um, so when I went to, t- I went to speak, you know, for the product. So basically what that means is speaker training is, that means the company flies you somewhere, usually some big city and the big conference rooms. And then they have, then they train you about how to speak about the product to your, so for me in the 1990s, I, I spoke for several companies and my audience was typically primary care doctors because that's, I'm one of them and I can relate to, they can relate to me. 
But I remember with Effexor, I, I was um, sitting at a table with some of the executives, and I, I was telling them my experience, and I was telling them, this, look what I, this is what I'm seeing with your product, and it's remarkable. It's, I, I've never seen anything like this, and why aren't you talking about this? And the answer basically was, uh, we know. We kind of have an idea about it because we, we've heard it. We just can't say anything about it. Well, why not? Well, because, you know, it's not what we studied it for. So basically what that means is they studied it as an antidepressant. So all they can talk about is depression. They can't talk about anxiety. They can't talk about the, the somatic symptom, meaning the physical symptoms I just mentioned. They can't talk about it because it's not part of their study. And they, they you know, so the government restricts speech to only what was studied. And part of it, People think, well, that makes sense. You know, you can't talk about things that aren't studied. Well, the problem is in psychiatry and mental health, you know, there's a lot of we call off-label prescribing. So off-label means that it, um, you know, we, we prescribe medications for indications that they weren't originally meant to be used for. So during the 90s, I, I think I was told I was the top effects or XR prescriber in the, in the country, which isn't surprising because I, I was giving it out a lot because of the fact that it was better than the, the SSRIs and because of the fact that I was, I was recognizing so many people in my primary care practice that had issues. And normally you would treat things like that with pain pills, anti-inflammatories, et cetera, et cetera, physical therapy, uh, you know, different diet changes for IBS, and you, you treat symptoms, you know, and that's what most doctors do is they treat symptoms. But what I was finding out is when you go to beneath the surface and you treat the underlying issue, then the symptoms go away. And so, and you can't really go any deeper than the nervous system. So when when you give these medications, what they do is they balance neurochemicals. So again, just going back to basics here, what's, what goes on, just to, let me give you, just summarize what medications do. We call psychotropic medications do. So th your nervous system is all through your body, okay? The brain goes down through the spine, and then the, out of the spine, nerves come out, and then they, they go to all your body. All your body, every piece and part, fingers and toes, and everywhere has nerve nerves attached to it you know from the central nervous system with and with the center being the brain so what happens the, though is things go out, of, out the, things go out off balance and um, off kilter and 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 so certain chemicals start to go the wrong way so the way the system works is that neurons which we call our nerve cells communicate with the next nerve cell so there's over 100 billion nerve cells in the human body. And the chemicals are passing from cell to cell across the, you know, there's a little space in between the cells called the synapse. Well, the chemicals travel around the body about a thousand times a second. And the synapses, there's over a hundred trillion, yes, you got that right, in one body. So there's a lot going on in a very quick, very quickly. And that's how what's supposed to happen. The problem, though, becomes is that when things are not going in the right direction, you know, the, when chemicals start to go the wrong direction, this is because of leaks on the cell membrane that happen that cause this to happen. Now, what causes the leaks on the cell membranes? Well, mostly genetic factors is the number one. So the things run in families. 
So if someone has anxiety, you know, you look back and like, and they say, well, you know, let's, let's talk about your parents, let's talk about your siblings, let's talk about aunts and uncles and grandparents. So you can usually like trace the history based on, and so that's the number ones, which is a, which is a characteristic, by the way, you can't have no control over. You can't control your genetics. You can't control where you came from, who your parents were. Uh, other the other hormonal changes, you know, are a cause of, of, of you know, and, and so we're going to see that with puberty. We're going to see that with before women's menstrual periods. We're going to see that with after a childbearing. We're going to see that with menopause, and then stressors. Sometimes uh, traumatic events can trigger trigger these imbalances. So there's different factors that lead to these imbalances happening, and medications are basically attaching. To wherever I'm targeting and and trying to rebalance the medication, so so effects are being an SNRI, so serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. So it's telling you right there, it's inhibiting the reuptake of serotonin and norepinephrine. SSRIs only only work; they only attach to the serotonin site. So I started to find out that this norepinephrine thing is a big deal. Like I said, it's it's a really big deal. So what? The, so that's what they do is they're trying to reestablish this normal connection of these chemicals through the nervous nervous system, and when that happens, good things happen. You know, people say I haven't felt this good in years. This is the old me come back. And it's not always that simple, by the way. And in, in many of my patients, it takes more than one medication. So I'm a what I call a combiner. I, I put medications together a lot. We call it like a cocktail. I, someone called it the Corona cocktails. The, you know, but putting medications together um, is is really part is really what I do. But you know, and some people it's it's one thing, and they, they get by with one one medication. <clears throat> Excuse me, get by with one medication. That's all they need. And they're they're good to go. And but some people it, it's it's more because there's more than one or two chemicals involved. And so, um, but. Um, but yeah, but I, I think that to this day still, um, I, I prescribe a lot of effects for still, but you know, then years later, uh, Pristique came out and well, before Pristique came Cymbalta. So when Cymbalta came out, you know, about, probably about 10 years after effects came out, I thought, oh good, because Cymbalta was talking about, uh, somatic symptoms like, you know, like pain and things. So I thought, oh, perfect. So they're finally figuring out that, okay, that these SNRIs are going to work for that. So I thought, oh, good, great. Now doctors are going to figure it out. Well, I was wrong for the most part. Now, not totally, because some doctors to this day still understand. They give Cymbalta for fibromyalgia, for chronic pain conditions, et cetera. So there, there was some progress there. But I think the biggest, the reason for that is because doctors really never understood Effexor for the most part. And there's two reasons for that. One reason is that the company, um, they they were they got too aggressive with the dosing. So with 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 the, you know, they had what we call a starter pack, where you have the lowest dose for the first week and the second lowest dose the second week. Well, they basically said, oh, you have to push it to a higher dose for it to work. Well, I, I started finding out that that second dose was the most common, and the first dose was the second most common. So the the message about higher is better I thought at the beginning I thought that might be correct but then I realized it was not correct and so I think doctors misunderstood and then they said it's a really good medication but there's too many side effects and it actually developed the the, the nickname side effects or 
Um, so I think that the the uh, that right there mess everything up because I think doctors thought then they just go right back to the SSRI because that's what they were comfortable with. And then a whole decade passes then until the next one comes out. And then Pristique came out years after that and it was kind of a tuned up Effexor, like a little bit improved on Effexor even. And so that's become the number one medication I prescribe for many years now. Effexor XR is, is way up there too. But um, but yeah, but I think that, you know, it's, I really found out that this is very, very big. It's, it's much bigger than we originally thought it would be. Um, and, uh, and to this day, 30 years later, after Effexor was released, um, still to this day, I don't see, I don't see doctors figuring this out. I mean, I know this because I see patients who have seen other doctors. I see that what, how doctors prescribe things and, and, Frankly, that a lot of it hasn't really changed. I, th- I think a lot of the time, a lot of the prescribing habits really get stuck, and I think they get stuck in how doctors do things for many years, and they don't change things. And you have to be able to change. When you're a doctor, you have to be able to change how you do things when you when you get uh, new knowledge. And what I want to do um, is I want to teach, and so I've I've written two books that aren't out yet. Um, you know, my fourth book is called The Corona Protocol, uh, Three three Secrets to Success. And then my fifth book is called The Corona Pro- Protocol Prescriber's Guide. So my intention is to teach, but I, I have to wait till this this book that's coming out. Hopefully this is going to do well. And then my first three books is gonna, are going to do better too. And then, so my hope is really to teach and I want to give back. I want to, I want to tell doctors what I've learned and, and, because I want them to be able to help their patients because I think there's a, there's a desperation out there. I think people need help and people are not getting the help they need. And, and that's my job is going to be to try to change that, to try to do something, something about that. So uh, I'm going to continue next time. Uh, I'm going to continue. This is, again, this is only the first revelation. I'm going to kind of talk about the different revelations I had um, over the years and how I've learned the uh, the Corona protocol, you know, which is basically the Corona protocol is my methods of how I do things and how I've look at things, how I evaluate things, and so that's what the books are about. And the teach and my and, I, and I, again, the, it's a method of, of it's a method, and so um, so that's why I, I want to um, you know I want to be able to help people that I'm not able to see because I'm I can only see so many people. I'm very busy. And, but doctors need the knowledge. And not only doctors, there's a lot of uh, physician's assistants and nurse practitioners out there who, uh, you, know, you know, get training, but sometimes the training maybe isn't, isn't enough or they need a supplement just like doctors do. Doctors need, you know, more than they've, that they've gotten in the past because they maybe they haven't gotten this type of uh, training. They don't, they don't know how to do this because they've, it's, they, 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 they've never read about it or they haven't kept up on, on those, these things, so. Anyway, so I'm going to close up now, and I'm going to um, talk to you again next week. I'm going to do. I'm going to try doing these every Friday. Uh, I want to thank my fantastic assistants, um, Viviana and Leslie, are here, and they're, uh, they're they they keep this office running smoothly, and they're terrific to work with. And remember to learn from yesterday, live for today, and hope for tomorrow. Remember, there's always hope and keep it alive.